Now, my next illustration was that I was going to show you something else that is mine, because this plant is mine, and I love it. And I was going to call up something else that is mine, who was going to stand here, but he's got a fever, so he's at home, sadly. So Sam, so I very quickly this morning found a photograph. So we have to imagine that Sam is standing right next to me here for this next bit of work. And I was thinking, Sam is mine, too. Sam is mine, and I am his. And because of that, I want the very, very best for him. And so just like there are things that I do to care for my plant, there are things that I try to do to care for my boy, too. So these are all things that I was going to hand to my boy. So now my plant is going to become Sam. (laughs) So some of the things that I might give to my boy, because I want the very best for him, I try and feed him healthy food. I try and make sure he sleeps enough so that he's at his best. I try and make sure he gets some exercise. So cricket season is about to start. There we are, Teddy. You can play with a cricket ball there. Ooh. Troy, have a cricket ball. I want him to be safe, my boy. I bet you, if you're a young person here, your family want you to be safe too. And we know we don't like this word rules very much. But there are rules that Sam has to follow to keep him safe at home, when he goes out, when he's with different people. Yes, there we go. Therefore, you're best because we love you because he is mine and I am his and I want the best for him. I try and encourage him to do different things. So I try and encourage his schoolwork and his homework. Sorry, teachers. I used to be a teacher. I'm hopeless at encouraging it. Um, I try and encourage adventures. So I've got suntan lotion for him for his holidays. I encourage him to play the piano. We're fighting a little bit at the moment over it, but I do know that one day he will thank me. I'm I'm sure. So I tell him that. I wanted him to hear you all this morning and go, yes, you will, but never mind. I offer him different things to do. Would you like to sew, Sam? No. So there we are. Um, I encourage his friendships with people and his relationships. I try and listen to what he says when he talks about his friends. And I try and give him great advice like be kind and don't be too bossy and things like that. I try and encourage... I was not going to be quite so harsh on him if he was standing here. It gives me more freedom without him actually here. Um, I try and encourage his relationship with our wider family. So um, I don't have a ticket for him to go to England, but I maybe have an iPad so he can Skype Granny and Grandpa over there too. I try and encourage his relationship with God. I think that's really important for him because I want the very best for him. So I encourage him to come here normally. Uh, I try and talk to him about God. I try and uh, pray with him about God. And I encourage him to read the Bible too, to learn about God. That's a bit heavy. Is the table strong? Yes. Yes. Okay. There we are. So those are all some things that I, some, some of the ways that I encourage my son because he is mine. Sam is mine and I am his. And I want the absolute best for him. We've been looking at a story in the Bible where God has the people of Israel. And he says to the people of Israel, you are mine and I am yours. And God wants the absolute best for them. As Yvonne said, we've been thinking about the Exodus story where Moses comes along and he takes the people of Israel out of Egypt. And there are a couple of ways that he shows very clearly they are mine, these people. And one of them is his rescuing. Moses later on says these words. Has any other God dared to take a nation for himself out of another nation by means of trials, miraculous signs, wonders, war, a strong hand, a powerful arm and terrifying acts? 
Yet that is what the Lord your God did for you in Egypt, right before your eyes. So God has shown them that he cares for them and he will rescue them from Egypt. Last week, Yvonne was talking about the fact that he was teaching them to trust him. They were in a desert and he gave them water and food. He guided them. He protected them as well. Now, God has told them through the prophet Moses, through Moses, that he is going to take them out of Egypt and he's going to take them to the promised land. I wonder whether the promised land would look like this. This is what my promised land might look like. I think I don't know what picture they'd have had in their head having been in Egypt, but he was going to take them to a promised land. Now, I think you would think they are going to grow into a powerful nation in this promised land. Wouldn't you grow into a powerful, incredible group of people in this land? But they don't find themselves in this land at the moment. They find themselves in this land. They find themselves in the desert. And we've been learning it's because there are things that God wants to teach them. And this is the place that he needs to take them to be able to teach them these things. If I want to tell my Sam something and I want him to listen and really get it, I do not talk to him while Survivor is on. I do not talk to him while he's on his iPad or even eating his very favorite food. I have to take him away to a moment where it's just me and him and then I can explain whatever it is to him because the things that God wants to teach the people in the desert, he wants them to get, get so well that they never forget these things. He wants them to be in a place where there are no distractions. They can't even be distracted by their own strengths their own inventions, their own achievements. They're in this place, the desert. And as they learn there, they change and they can grow in this place into a very powerful nation, a powerful nation that can then go on to display God's character. So we catch up today with the people here in the desert. So we're up in the story to two months after Sinai. I had a fascinating time looking at the chronology, chronology, I don't know how many ologies in it, but the time um, line of this. And um, we're now at the base of Mount Sinai. So you've got Mount Sinai and the people are at the base of it and they're camped around there. And that was two months after they escaped from Egypt. So this is where God has led them to at the moment. And they're still pretty much like a bunch of oppressed refugees. They've learned a little bit, but very much they're still like as refugees. And there are two things in particular that God wants to teach the people at this point. He wants to teach them because they are his and he is theirs and he wants the best for them. He wants to teach them how to live life well. He wants them to flourish like my plants is going to flourish. He wants them to live well. He wants them to grow into a powerful nation. And he also wants them to learn to draw near to him, to draw near to him so that their relationship can strengthen, so that they will know that he is their God and they will choose to be his people. So we're going to Look at the next bit of the story. Okay, I'll read it to you. You can look at the pictures if you like. I'm sorry if I'm in your way. Here it goes. Then Moses climbed the mountain, the Mount Sinai, to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these people instructions, give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce to the descendants of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. 
for all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak to you. Then they will always trust you. So Moses comes down the mountain and he gets the people ready so that God will come down upon the mountain and that they can meet him. It takes them three days to get themselves ready for this meeting. And then on the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the top of of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. At this point... The Israelites, just two months ago, were in a place of such chaos. They were in a place of such chaos two months ago. We know what chaos is like sometimes. They're in a place of chaos because they were in slavery. They had to do whatever their slave master told them. They had to obey the whim of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And now they are free. They're free to be who they want to be. But we know that if there are no rules then freedom quickly descends into chaos too. And so God gives them, when Moses goes back up the mountain, God gives them rules, ways to live. He gives them the Ten Commandments. I love how Jesus sums up the Ten Commandments. He says, basically, you can sum them up as love God and love people. That's the way they sum up. And if we live like this, how good would life be? God wants our best. He gives us rules so that we will live well. Moses looks back at this time later on, and this is what Moses says. For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on him? And what great nation has decrees and regulations as righteous and fair as this body of instructions that I am giving to you today? God came down on the mountain to meet with his people. They heard his voice. They knew that he wanted to draw near to them. They knew that he had chosen them to be his people. And God gave them laws and instructions so that they could live their lives well. Later on, not a little bit later than this, we read that actually when Moses went back, when the people were standing there and they heard this ram's horn blow that was incredibly loud and the mountain shaking and all the smoke and fire, the people did just what we might do and they actually moved backwards. They moved backwards, it says, till they got to a place where they felt safe. They moved a distance back. And then when Moses came back down the mountain... 
they said to Moses, actually, Moses, we don't want, we don't want God to come that close again. We don't want that. We want you to speak to God and then you can come and you can speak to us. We don't want God to come that close again, please. And so as time went by, this is what happened. And different people would speak on God's behalf. But the people didn't always listen to what the people had to say from God. And as time went by, people didn't always follow the rules that God gave them. So they went into the promised land. They entered the promised land. But was it the order and the beauty and the closeness that it could have been? No, not always. It wasn't always like that. Often there was chaos. But God continued to love the people. God continued to want the best for them, to say they are still mine and I am still theirs. He wanted them to draw close to him still. Well, what about us? What about you? What about me? Do you know, I think one of the most astonishing verses in the whole Bible is a verse that we read in John. John's account of the arrest of Jesus. So just before his trial and his death. And this is the verse that I think is absolutely astonishing. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forwards to meet them at his arrest. Jesus realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forwards. Jesus had just been sweating blood. He was so stressed about what was going to happen to him. He'd just been crying out to God, God, take this cup away from me. Don't make me do this unless it's your will, unless I have to do this. And Jesus knew that for God to be able to draw close to his people and through the Holy Spirit, for the people to be able to draw close to God, Jesus knew he had to face that. He knew that he had to face the agony the darkness, the betrayals, the abandonment, and so much more that we don't fully understand. And Jesus stepped forwards. He stepped forwards just like he stepped forwards to come into this world in the first place to be born as a human baby. He stepped forwards just like he did when he stands up for the downtrodden. He stepped forward like he steps forwards to love the outcast. He stepped forwards like he stepped forwards to you because you are his and he is yours. If we choose to follow Jesus because of Jesus, because Jesus steps forwards, God draws close to us. If you're here this morning and you haven't as yet chosen to be a follower of Jesus, this is the invitation for you that you can come to know a God who says of you, you are mine and I am yours. That even though you may still walk in desert places, I will be with you. I can give you hope in those times. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in a liminal space that we've been talking about. You are in maybe a desert moment, a threshold moment. Maybe something's happened in your life so that you are in between the no longer and the not yet. Sometimes when we're in those places, just like the Israelites, our desire is to go back to go back to what we know. Sometimes where we've come from hasn't necessarily been that good, but still we know it. And so somehow it feels safer. 
But God actually, just like with the people of Israel, always wants to take us forwards. He wants to take us on and forwards. And sometimes this takes us through desert moments. But if that is where God is taking us, that is where we need to go. And he will be with us in those desert moments. Maybe you're here this morning and actually life is so busy, the world is so loud that you have no idea whether you are in a liminal moment or not. You haven't even had time to stop and think about it. Maybe you're digging so frantically to find water. Maybe you are searching so fervently to find your way out of where you are that you don't even realize that this is a time to stop, that this is a time to draw close to God. You just know that life isn't flourishing. You just know that you want to, um, you don't know how to get out of there. Maybe this is a time to stop for you and you haven't realized it. Maybe it is a liminal space for you at the moment. Maybe this is a time when actually God has drawn near and he wants your attention. If you are in a desert, he has drawn near. And if you realize that at some point during this month, then find ways to draw close to him as he has stepped close to you. Find ways to draw close to him. If you're not sure how to do that, please ask somebody. I know that there is a way for every single one of us to draw close to God. I know it. And so ask somebody to help you find that. Ask me. I love talking about that. Or maybe it's that you need to ask somebody just to hold you accountable to do that. But do something. Recognize the moment you're in and do something so that we can be close to God. Because we don't want to be like the Israelites, who in that moment that Jesus steps forwards, they pull away. We don't want to be people who just rely on the person at the front speaking, a good Christian book of some sort, a wise friend, when Jesus and God himself is actually saying, draw close to me, come close to me. At Real Women on Friday, I sat on the table with Jen Beachy. Some of you will know her, some of you won't. They were here for years and years and years. And then they went to Fiji, uh, Fiji, Fiji, for two years. And they came back just a couple of months ago. And about a month ago, I think it was, they were interviewed up here. And they are having a really hard time coming back from Fiji. It is not easy or pleasant for them coming back. Um, and so Jen drew a picture at Real Women. And I asked her what it was, and she explains it to me. And it was such a desert moment um, picture and explanation that I asked her to share it with you guys. She's not here, so she wrote to me. So I'm going to read to you what she says, the description of where she's at in life at the moment. She was very kind to share this. This is her picture, and this explains that. I feel like the tree. I'm in a gloomy place with little to show for myself. I feel like I've been dropped into a deep hole since we arrived back in Australia that has only become deeper. I have reached the end of my reserves, my strength, my ideas, my my abilities. I am totally beyond myself. I feared what I would find in the hole, but there is a very small bright patch of light there. I can see the tiny bright light in my mind's eye, and it is my faith in Jesus. I feared that when I was stretched beyond myself, that there would be just emptiness, not even faith. I have found out that the bright light at the bottom of the hole is that I still trust in God. When it comes down to it, really down to it, I just trusted him 
And it didn't even occur to me not to. So my tree has roots that dig down into the light. My sky is still dark. Life is still very challenging. But there is now a small rainbow. The rainbow represents the small hope that I now have. Not just hope that God will sort out the material stuff, although he is doing that too, in ways I would never have imagined. But hope, because I trust God. Things are tough for me, and I still trust God. The verses I wrote um, parts of on the side of the picture are from Habakkuk. I now relate to them in a way I have never done before. Here is the full quote. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. In the desert, Jen has discovered, I believe, a deep knowing. A deep knowing that she could not have discovered anywhere else. That God is there and she trusts in him. And that is what she is clinging to, to give her hope. And I believe that this knowing that she has learned is going to make her tree stronger and better and fruitful in time to come. In a way that would never have happened if she wasn't in this place. Jesus says, two followers of Jesus, this is two. Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus has stepped forwards. He's stepped forwards to the door of our lives, to the door of our very moment. And the promise isn't that he will open the door and sweep us off to the promised land. The promise is that he will, if we open the door, he will come into our lives wherever we are. If we're in the desert, that is where he will come into. He wants to do that. And he will be with us and he will restore us. He's the living water, the bread of life, we're told. He will give us glimpses of hope and joy will return to us. And then when the time is right, he will lead us into the not yet. And the not yet will be a far better place because we have drawn close to him in the in-between. The musicians musicians are going to come and play a song in a moment. They're going to play It's Who You Are. It's describing who Jesus is. Jesus who stands at the door and knock and wants to be with us in the desert places. I'm sure the people of Israel would have sung heartily songs. Great are you, Lord. We know who you are, God, and we praise you. It may be during this song that you want to just sit there and just think. It may be that you want to sing too. You're most welcome to do that. We've got some posters um, next door as well. There's one on the wall. And we've got four posters here of a door, a door like a door of our life that Jesus comes to. It may be as the band is singing and playing this song that you actually say, I need to respond to this. I need to actually do something. There isn't enough time in this song to stop enough and draw close, but I'm going to choose to do that. And so my response is going to be to go to one of those posters. There are pens right by them. And I'm going to write my response on the posters there. It may be that you write, I will open the door this week. I will draw close to God this week. 
It may be, thank you, Jesus, for stepping forwards to me. Your response will be your response and appropriate for you. God has stepped close to us because he says, you are mine and I am yours. Will we step forwards to be near him?